If you turn in your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk, the book of Habakkuk. Yes, that's a book in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. Habakkuk is what was known as one of the minor prophets, but he did not have a minor message. And we want to focus on the third chapter of Habakkuk as we talk this morning about the prayer of Habakkuk. Habakkuk wrote during the winding down of the incredible nation of Judah. He spoke and preached, and this was written as that great nation of God, the chosen nation of God, was winding down and about to go into extinction under the judgment and the wrath of a just God. Habakkuk knows this, and Habakkuk sees this, and in the first couple chapters, specifically the first chapter, Habakkuk does some complaining. He says, Lord, look at the condition we're in. Why don't you do something? I'm paraphrasing. And the Lord says, I'm going to do something. I'm going to send the Assyrians to wipe you out. And Habakkuk says, Lord, that's worse than what we're dealing with now. The Assyrians are worse than us. And the Lord says, trust in me, because when they whip you and they wipe you out, he says, I'm going to punish them. I'm going to whip them. Don't ask me to explain that. But I can tell you that God never violated his character of justness and holiness in raising them up and allowing them to punish his nation. And he was perfectly just and right to punish the punisher. When you figure that out, you come talk to me about it. But we can safely say that he never violated his own character because he does not deal with sin. He does not have to deal with sin because he's too holy. So in Habakkuk, the third chapter, I believe we kind of get the feel from Habakkuk that it's all settled in. (laughs) He he is reconciled to the fact that God's going to do this. I offer to you here today. As troubling as times are, I submit to you that if, if we will take the attitude of Habakkuk, just settle in, just relax. You say, how in the world can I relax with all that's going on? I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying that you can. If Habakkuk, who knew that the Assyrian, the torturous, murderous Assyrians were coming to destroy Judah and he could rest in the Lord, I believe that you and I can follow that as a model to rest in the Lord in the midst of strange and bizarre times. I talked to a lot of preachers throughout the Southeast, especially, but elsewhere too. And it's almost like a, a tagline that every preacher I talk to sends. And, you know, he'll say, how are y'all doing? You know, we're praying for this. What about this? What about that? We'll just kind of have a discussion usually by text or email. And it always seems to end with praying for guidance in these bizarre times. That is certainly something that can describe what we're living in, bizarre. <laughs> but there's nothing new under the sun. Sickness is nothing new. Trouble is nothing new. Anguish is nothing new. Death is nothing new. Everybody that dies of COVID, it's not the fault of the person who gave it to them and didn't know they gave it to them. It is the fault of Adam in the Garden of Eden 6,000 years ago. You don't have to strain your mind and figure out, did I give it to them? Did they get it from me? I can't see the pestilence that walks in darkness. I can't see it. But God can, and he has the final say. And whether it's pestilence or whether it's judgment of God, whether it's tragedy, trials, troubles, tribulation, a lot of T words, whatever it is, just remember that God's still on his throne and we can rest and we can move forward by the grace of God. Okay? Chapter 3, verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, upon Shigionoth. That's a weird word. And the word is a weird word, and it means a rambling ditty. A little ditty, you know, D-I-T-T-Y, it's a song. He is expressing his emotions and himself before the Lord. And boy, does he ever. In this expressive, emotional song that Habakkuk sings, 
that is in the form of a prayer song. Notice what he says. Oh Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. Notice he's afraid of God. He is fearing God. He's not afraid of what man is going to do. I have heard thy speech and was afraid, O Lord. Revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make known. In wrath remember mercy. Can y'all hear him singing that? How beautiful it would be in the Hebrew language. I could just hear him singing that to the Lord. Out there somewhere on the hillside. And, and his heart is hurting. And his mind is distracted by the things of the world. And he's restless. And he feels uh, just torn up inside. And yet he sings. Notice what his concern was. Revive thy work in the midst of the years. Oh, can we pray that prayer? Can we say that to God in the midst of these strange and bizarre years? Revive thy work, Lord. Oh, Lord, give us revival. Send those that would believe the truth of God in these strange and troublous times. I've thought back 20 years ago and I'm thought, I thought, you know, I'm so glad none of this COVID stuff happened when I first started pastoring here. Of course, there was only a few of us at that time, eight or nine of us. But how discouraging that would be. Everybody recedes and everybody hides and everybody is afraid of everybody and everything. How discouraging would that be if the work was just getting off the ground? I'm so glad it didn't happen 20 years ago. I don't ever want it to happen, period. But thank God. I pray the prayer that Habakkuk prayed. In the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. I tell you, I can't help but feel to some level or another by the withdrawing of the hedge of protection on our nation that we have seen over the last many years when things have gotten worse. You can come to no other conclusion than God has withdrawn Himself and hid His face to some degree or of another because it's just not like it used to be. The issues that arise, the problems that arise, the troubles that come, it's just more and they mount upon each other and they multiply. And you can't look at that and say, well, God's pleased. He's real happy. <laughs> you can't do that. God has withdrawn himself to some degree or another. I'm not saying he's withdrawn himself from your life. I'm not saying he's withdrawn himself from the church. But because of sin and because of the issues that we see, we can reach no other conclusion than to say, at least from a national standpoint, maybe even from a worldwide standpoint, God has just said, I'm backing off. That's what went on with Habakkuk here. God says, I'm backing off. And yet Habakkuk prayed and he said, in your wrath, Lord, in your anger, remember mercy. Because that's our only hope is mercy. The mercy of God being spared from what we deserve in an eternal sense, but also in a timely sense. Just the mercy of God is what we need. We need mercy towards one another. We need mercy towards our families. We need mercy towards our church friends and our, our fellowships that we have with one another. We need mercy. That's what we need. That's what Habakkuk prayed for. He said, God came from Teman. Teman means the south. So what he's saying here is he's having a vision of God and he's seeing where God is coming. And the wrath of God is coming. He says, God came from Teman of the south. And the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah, His glory covered the heavens. And the earth was full of His praise. And His brightness was as the light. He had horns coming out of His hand. Horns coming out of His hand means that He has authority. Notice He doesn't just say one horn. A horn is symbolic of authority, like a king has authority. The Lord's not just got one level of authority. He has all authority because the, the horns are coming out of his hand. What do you do with your hand? You work with your hand. You do things with your hand. And God has authority with his hand. And there was the hiding of his power. Is the power of God hidden from you today? Are you seeing the power of God? Are you seeing it? You'll see it in the sanctuary. You'll see it in the word of God. You'll see it in the spirit of God. You'll see it among the people of God. But to many people, God's power is hidden. Where is he? What's he doing? Is he asleep? We know he doesn't sleep and we know he doesn't slumber. 
Habakkuk knows this. And Habakkuk says there was the hiding of his power. Even whenever we were saved from our sins, you know, it says that in his wrath, he hid his face from his people for just a little while. He hid his face from his own son. Who could see the power of God and the suffering of Christ when it was going on? But we see it now, don't we? And we hear about it in the preaching of the gospel and we rejoice in it. And oh Lord, I pray, revive thy work in the midst of these strange years. Watch verse 5. This is Habakkuk describing the movements of God in his wrath. Before him went the pestilence. You read that? You know what the pestilence is? It's a sickness. I'm not standing here saying, well, God is sending the COVID and God is doing this. I would be foolish to say that. You remember several years ago, whenever Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans and all these preachers were going around saying, the hurricane's the judgment of God upon New Orleans. (laughs) It wasn't the hurricane that got New Orleans. You know that it was the man-made levees that broke, (laughs) by the way. It wasn't the hurricane. There were all these preachers going around saying, the hurricane, the hurricane got New Orleans. Have you been to New Orleans? It's still there. When God gets something, it's not there anymore. You understand? Where is Sodom and Gomorrah today? It's in the region of the Dead Sea when it's nothing but salt in that area and nothing will grow there where God rained fire and brimstone. We don't want to go around pointing the finger of God's judgment and saying we got that figured out. But we can certainly say that the pestilence, the sickness, the hurricanes, the troubles, the earthquakes, the tsunamis, all of these things are a result of the fall in the Garden of Eden. Things are breaking apart. They're not evolving and getting better. They're breaking down. Where is the next evolutionary step? Think about it. We're all getting older and dying, you know? Where's the next evolutionary step? It's not there. There's no missing link. There's no such thing. We're getting worse. Before him went the pestilence, and burning coals went forth at his feet. Now, listen, fire eliminates germs, does it not? You think about that. The pestilence goes before the Lord, and the Lord is walking with these burning coals and just burning up the germs. And don't you wish He'd show up and do that right now? That'd be great, wouldn't it? So you know, like you got this night vision. If I had germ vision, I'd probably go jumping in this baptistry and running out the window. You know, psh, I'm gone. I look out there and see y'all. Y'all are just one big, you know, big red germ. You know, I'd be scared. To, thank God we don't have germ glasses. Because you you say, well, that would help us to know this or that. Well, then you'd have to identify what the germ was, and you'd be scared of everything. Everything you see, there's germs everywhere. But God walks in the coals of fire that burns up all germs. That's why He has that right after the pestilence going before Him. God has the cure. God has the way to destroy all of germs. And won't it be wonderful one day when He comes back and He's through with this world? What's going to happen? It's going to burn. There's not going to be any possibility of germs being left over or of trouble or trials or anguish or sorrow or tears because He walks in the burning coals. He stood and measured the earth. He beheld and drove asunder the nations. This is great to see this, isn't it? Habakkuk is seeing the power of God and he's all worried about the nation of Judah dying and going out of existence. And yet he's seeing the power of God that God doesn't just have the power to eliminate his own nation, to terminate the existence of his nation, but he drives asunder all nations. Isn't that something? And the everlasting mountains were scattered and the perpetual hills did bow. His ways are everlasting. It's almost, I hate to use the word cartoonish, 
But it's almost cartoonish what he's seeing because he's seeing God come to his earth and he's seeing God move about the earth and he's seeing everything bow down before God. He literally sees the mountains bow down to God. He literally sees the nations fleeing asunder before God. He sees the tents of Cushan and affliction and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was the Lord displeased against the rivers? Was thine anger against the rivers? Was thy wrath against the sea that thou didst ride upon thine horses and thy chariots of salvation? Now he has a picture of God riding in on his horses and on his chariots and completely obliterating and conquering. He's riding so hard and so fast that he's just stamping out the water out of the rivers. Thy bow was made quite naked. You guys who have bow hunted know what that means. It means that he has got his bow bent back and it's open where you can see it and he's just firing as many arrows as he wants to. Nobody can stop this God. The bow was made quite naked. According to the oaths of the tribes, Selah, thou didst cleave the earth with rivers. The mountains saw thee and they trembled and the overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered his voice and lifted up his hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of thine arrows they went and at the shining of thy glittering spear. This is a conqueror. You understand? You remember a few weeks ago we talked from the book of Isaiah and we talked about there's different sections in the book of Isaiah and towards the end of Isaiah you have the picture of the conqueror. This is the same picture of Christ that you see in the book of Revelation where he rides upon that horse and he has a vesture dipped in blood. He is the conqueror. That's what Habakkuk is seeing. I think we need to see that in our own spiritual minds. We need to see God as the conqueror. And he goes forth shining with his glittering spear. Thou didst march through the land in indignation and thou didst thresh the heathen in anger. Nobody can stop this conquering God. Thou wentest forth for the south. This is so beautiful. Listen, don't ever forget that God has a purpose in everything that he does. A lot of people go around saying, well, I'm trying to figure out the purpose in this trial, this trouble, this tragedy, this tribulation. That is a waste of mental energy to do that. Because there's many things in this world you'll never figure out. You know, they may never figure out everything they need to know about this disease and the next one that's coming right after it. It may be that man can never figure that out. Don't strain your mind or try to trouble your mind trying to figure out the things of this life. Like there's some great mystery there. There's a lot of mysteries we'll just never figure out. But here's what you want to, to figure out. Here's what you want to focus on in the midst of trials, troubles, and tribulation. It is that God has a purpose... And his purpose is to save his people without the loss of one. That is a precious truth that no matter what you're dealing with, no matter how troublesome times are, don't blame God for your troubles. Look to God who is the trouble ender. And he's, it says right here, in the midst of this indignation, in the midst of this wrath, in the midst of this trouble that God is bringing upon the nation of Judah there, and really upon the world, if you look at it, it says in verse 13, Thou wentest forth... For the salvation of thy people. How about that? God's ultimate purpose, God's ultimate goal is the salvation of his people. Watch the language now. He says, Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people. Verse 13, even for salvation with thine anointed. Who is the anointed of God? Y'all understand how clearly Habakkuk is seeing this vision that God is going forth to conquer. God is going forth to do the things that he does. And he has the anointed with him. Who is the anointed? It's Jesus Christ. He's seeing the anointed of God. And the purpose of this judgment, the purpose of him scattering his nation is ultimately he's going to bring them back together. He's going to revive his work in the midst of judgment. And he's going to bring them back into this area. And they're going to come together. And 400 and 500 years later, there's one that's going to come and walk. The anointed of God is going to come to this earth and he ultimately is going to fulfill the purpose that he has in saving his people. You see? 
So no matter what you go through, no matter what you're dealing with, God's ultimate purpose is going to stand. And you read about that purpose in the book of Romans, in the book of Ephesians, out of the mouth of Jesus. The mouth of Jesus in John 6 says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Is there any possibility that the ones that are given to Jesus will not come to him? I tell you, there is no possibility. There's no sickness, no death, no trouble, no trial, no depression, no anguish, no sorrow, no fear. There is nothing that is going to keep his people back from him, not because they're so good and they're so faithful, but because God is so good and God is so faithful. You see, how in the world can Habakkuk see all this in the midst of this judgment that's coming, in the midst of this pestilence, in the midst of all of this Assyrians breathing down upon them to torture their children and rip their families apart and take some of them into captivity and dash some of them off of the rocks and kill some of them? I tell you, it's because the anointed of God is there. That's the Son of God. That's Jesus Christ. He says, Thou went forth for salvation, and for the salvation with thine anointed. Thou woundest the head of the house of the wicked. That sounds like bruising the head of the serpent, doesn't it? He says, Thou woundest the head out of the house of the wicked by discovering the foundation under the neck. The Lord literally took the head off of the wicked there. You see that? That's what the Lord has done. He has bruised the head of Satan, and He has taken Satan's head off. The Lord looked and He saw the spot to take his sword and whack off the head of the wicked. (laughs) That's comforting to know. Kind of gross, kind of if you think about the mental imagery of that. But that's what the Lord does for us in salvation. Thou didst strike through with his staves the head of his villages. They came out as a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was to devour the poor secretly. Now here we go. Thou didst walk through the sea with thine horses through the heap of great waters. And now in verse 16 on down to the end of the chapter. Habakkuk internalizes all of this. He's seen this amazing thing. I hope this morning by the eye of faith that you can see the amazing conquering God who will ride forth to victory. Who does ride forth to victory? The final breath that anyone takes is not the final say. God has the final say. But He rides forth to victory in eternity and He rides forth to victory when He pleases in time. And when Habakkuk sees all this, Notice what it says. Have you felt this way? (laughs) I want you to see that Habakkuk is feeling this way because he's been focusing on God, not on man and not on the troubles around him. He says, when I heard, my belly trembled. My lips quivered at the voice. It sounds like he's having a panic attack. The word trembled literally means to quiver. It means to shake violently and emotionally. He says, when I heard, my belly trembled and my lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered into my bones and I trembled in myself that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he cometh up unto the people, he will invade them with his troops. He sees the power of God. He sees the glory of God. He sees the judgment of God and he begins to tremble inside. Oh, child of grace, that we may tremble at the the conquering king and we we may fear the God of heaven, that we may respect him and not forget that he's on his throne. Now watch verse 17. This is as we close. Habakkuk assesses the situation around him, and this is his conclusion. He says, although the fig tree shall not blossom, there's no fruit, there's nothing to eat, neither shall fruit be in the vines. This is like saying today, every grocery store is closed. Although every grocery store is closed. Every convenience store, every gas station, everything's closed. Though everything's closed and there's nowhere, and I forgot to plant a garden, and there's nowhere to get food. Neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail. There's no olive oil. There's nothing to cook with. And the fields shall yield no meat. They've been burned. Nobody's cultivated them. The flock shall be cut off from the fold. The flock is just wandering aimlessly out there. You can't find them. And there shall be no herd in the stalls. This is a bleak and pitiful situation. Are y'all with me? 
I don't think we have this situation. I pray to God we don't have this situation. But if we do have this situation, look at what Habakkuk says. Yet, although this bleak and terrible situation we face, although we see all these terrible things happening, he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. That word rejoice, it means to jump for joy. You may be thinking about Abraham because Jesus said that in the day that Abraham saw the day of Christ, whenever the lamb was, the ram was caught in the bushes, it says that Abraham jumped for joy to see the ram that would take the place of his son and he didn't have to plunge the knife into his son. That is what Habakkuk said says here, he is jumping for joy. In the midst of all of this, it sounds like his mind is a little bit touched, doesn't it? You look and you see there's nothing there. There's no hope. There appears to be no fruit. There appears to be no future. Famine is upon us. Pestilence is upon us. All of these things are against us. And yet Habakkuk says, I will rejoice. I will jump for joy in the Lord. What an attitude. What an encouragement. And then we always come back to the old gloom and do, yeah, but, yeah, but. There's no yeah, but to this. There's no but, wait, wait a minute, hold on, I don't know, wait a second. This is what I heard, this is what I read, this is what I saw. I've been there. I tell you what, the worst thing that I can do to myself on a week-to-week basis is begin to poll the experts. Have y'all tried that? (laughs) Because this expert says do this, this expert says do that, this so-called expert says this, this other one says it's a conspiracy, this one over here says it's not a conspiracy, and this one says you need to do this in order to go far. I I just want to pull my hair out. (laughs) That's not what Habakkuk did. Child of grace, that's not what you need to do. You need to rejoice in the Lord, to jump for joy in the Lord. And I will joy in the God of my salvation. We need to joy and rejoice in the God of our salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and He will make my feet like hind's feet, and He will make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer on the stringed instruments. That's a reference there. Maybe some of you have YouTubed and seen those mountain goats that can hop from little bitty precipice to little bitty precipice. It's an amazing thing to see that. And it scares me. I kind of shake and jump when I look at it. That's the hind speed. They have such accuracy. How in the world are they able to do that? How in the world can Habakkuk uh, be like hind's feet and climb the mountains that come before him? It's because God is his strength. It's because the Lord is showing him the way. There you may not be able to see the next step that you have to take, but God knows the next step. God knows where you need to put your feet. And God can guide you in that. And your feet will be like hind's feet. (laughs) He's facing certain death. And he says, my feet are like hind's feet. I think I've shared this with you before, but when I was growing up, I could not stand watching movies or things, you know, the worst case scenario type movies. I've told you, you know, mom and dad said, oh, John Wayne movies, the best things you've ever seen. And so we watch them in like the first two or three John Wayne movies. You know, he died in it. And I was like, y'all telling us to watch this and the hero's dying. I don't like that. I remember when I watched the Disney movie, Davy Crockett, one of the best I've ever seen. Until you get to the last scene. And the last thing you see is old Davy there fighting it out with a thousand Mexicans. And he's about to get killed. And it, and it fades out before you see him die. And I always used to sit there and think, I, I think he made it. <laughs> I mean, I was almost in tears. I think he made it. You know, a helicopter came down and swooped him out of there. It was the 1800s at the Alamo. I think if he could just take on one at a time and just keep whacking them and hitting them and stabbing them and maybe shooting them from time, he could kill the whole Mexican army. But it didn't happen that way. In Child of Grace, it doesn't always happen that way with us. You remember me telling you the heart of the hall of faith. The heart, where you see the heart of God, is not that glorious, amazing, incredible deed after incredible deed in the first half. It's the second half, where there are those that are sown asunder and tortured and killed for the cause of Christ. That's the heart of the hall of faith. So if you're like me, when I was seven and watched that, you would think, the Lord's got him an escape route. 
He's going to hit the mountains whenever the judgment comes and the Syrians show up and they're starving and they're going to find a little tree up in the mountains somewhere that's got figs on it and they're going to feed off of that and eat off of that and they're going to make it. <laughs> Let me tell you something. That would be amazing and glorious and, that, and it can happen that way. But as, we, as the old saying goes, God's not in the habit of that. The hind's feet that's referred to right here where he rides upon his high places, it very well indicates a place that's not of this world. He sees all the destruction and all the sorrow and all the things that are coming, and he sees a way out. Let me tell you, child of grace, there is a way out of this world. And it is by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And he makes our feet like hind's feet, and we fly away to be with him. We don't just climb up the mountain and it looks scary. We climb through the universes. To be with the Lord. That's the kind of hind's feet I want. And Habakkuk said, we jump for joy. I jump for joy when I think about that. Do you jump for joy? Are you rejoicing in this time? Are you praying? God, revive your work. Revive your work in the midst of these strange and bizarre times. On our faces. Lord, please, I beg you here today. Revive your work in this time. God's people are hurting. God's people are scared. God's people don't know where to look right, left, forward, backwards. They don't know. I don't know. But I know we can look up for our redemption draws nigh. See, standing there next to Dad's bedside in the first 15 minutes of January 2020. You know how many times that I've said in 2020, I am so glad my dad is gone. I am glad that he took his last breath before 2020 got fully started. Because it was crazy, wasn't it? And it's still crazy. <laughs> but I thought back on that time, that moment, whenever he took that last breath and God gave him hind's feet and he jumped to a high place all by the grace and the mercy of God. Now you think about that for the rest of the afternoon. Think about what God has done for you. No matter how bad it gets, no matter how tough it is, Lord, revive thy work in the midst of thy wrath. In wrath, remember mercy.